You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thank you so much, guys. I want to welcome everyone here to CLM again, as Pastor Martins has said, if this is your first time or you've only just started coming a few weeks, we want to welcome you. Please feel welcomed here. This is home. This is your home. You didn't know it before you got here, but this is it. You finally arrived at home. And we want to make you feel at home. And there's a, please avail yourself to the uh, connect point at the back of the room and find out more about what it's like to live here and be a part of this community. It's a lovely family. We love being a part of this family, don't we, church? Okay, only two people. We love being a part of this community. It's a, it's a great uh, family um, made up of so many different nations and nationalities. And we, uh, we, uh, we feel like we're one because we are one in the blood of Jesus. Is that right? So today, it's my honor um, uh, and my privilege to be um, bringing the third installment in our teaching series uh, titled Heart After God. Um, and week one, we had um, a message entitled Going After God, uh, God's Heart. Tracy Mumby brought that to us. It was an amazing time, an amazing message from the Word of the Lord. And last week, Luke spoke to us about facing your giants, um, uh, taking a, a, his, uh, his message from the story of David and Goliath. And again, if you've missed any of those weeks, please avail yourself to that on our YouTube channel. Uh, I'm sure you will, you will be blessed as you uh, listen to those words. Um, this is week three, and we're going to be focused in a little bit on uh, 1 Samuel chapters 24 and 26 predominantly. I will be drawing from a number of scriptures as is my uh, tradition here. I like the Word of God a lot, so I'll be sharing a lot of scriptures with you, but um, hopefully you will be blessed by it. But that's going to be our main scripture. Um, before I, I get into the message, though, I do want to say something that's really important, and I, I want to say that today is my wife, Simone's birthday. Yes, it is. So let's celebrate. Uh, say happy birthday, Sim. <laughs> uh, come on. Um, it's okay. I've got the mic, so I can do what I want. So... Um, so here we are. Um, so we, I'm going to give you some context to our scripture. We're going to be in First Samuel 20, uh, chapter 24, but I'm going to give you some context to where we are before, we, before I read. Um, basically, at this point, David um, has uh, he's been brought in uh, by the Lord from tending his father's sheep, and he's uh, uh, been anointed by the prophet Samuel to become the next king of Israel. Following the slain of Goliath, the giant of Gath, King Saul brought David into his service and promoted him to a high-ranking position in the Israeli army. And whatever mission Saul sent David on, he was successful because the Lord was with him. And 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 to 7 says these words, One day when returning from a victorious battle against the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now the song troubled Saul greatly, and he be, um, and became spiritually tormented as a result. So his court leaders suggested he have uh, some music, some music, and that worked for him for him before. And so David was uh, uh, conscripted into coming in and being that musician to play for Saul because he played for Saul previously, and the t and the spirit that was tormenting Saul left him. So David was again brought in to try and see if he can soothe the torment that Saul went through. Um, as David was playing, however, Saul became more enraged um, at this young man 
who was getting more popularity than him. And uh, he decided to throw a spear at David, not once but twice, trying to kill him. And so now his, his, his torment and his, his jealousy became vengeance and he started to hate David because of his popularity. And the more David's popularity grew, the more uh, uh, Saul hated him. And eventually that uh, became so difficult a situation that David had to go on the run. Um, and literally was running for his life because Saul was pursuing him, wanting to kill him. Um, and that's disappointing. But that's where we are in the text. So that's the context to where we are. And we're going to read from First Samuel now, chapter 24, from verses 1 through 7. And this is what it says, reading from the NIV version. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men uh, from, the, from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back, far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Uh, please, really, uh, let me encourage you. Please go and read the rest of that story. There's so much in it. There's so much drama in the life of David. He was filled with dramas, uh, Dave, but we love him. Um, so if you're looking for a title for today's message, the title of today's message is Worth the Wait. Worth the Wait. Now, King Charles III was crowned on the 6th of May, 2023, and was the 40th reigning monarch to be crowned in the Abbey. He was also the oldest British monarch to be crowned. King Charles III had been the first in line of succession for 70 years, 214 days, making him the longest heir apparent ever. His record-breaking wait for the throne began when he was three years old on the 6th of February, 1952, the day his mother became queen. Now, all eyes were on. I don't know if any of you watched that. Did any of you watch that? Hands up. No. Two people, okay, a handful of people. All, all eyes, or some eyes, were on the King Charles on his coronation day, but there was the uh, one holy moment that the cameras didn't capture. And before the king, who was 74, was crowned in a spectacular ceremony at Westminster Abbey, he was anointed with chrism oil by the Archbishop of Canterbury during the church service. Uh, the curtain was held up by a service personnel uh, from the regiments of the household division. Continuing this tradition, this most solemn personal, personal of moments was concealed behind a special screen. And Buckingham Palace said it has been historically been regarded as a moment between the sovereign and God. Uh, so with a screen of canopy in place, given the sanctity of the anointing. The anointing sets the king apart to fulfill a vocation and begin a new life as sovereign, dedicated to the service of all. Now this ritual of the anointing of kings can be traced directly to the anointing of priests, kings, and occasionally prophets in the ancient world and in ancient Israel. Now, the Hebrew word, um, masha, 
means to anoint or even more generally to spread a liquid. It does not simply denote a physical act, but much rather a marking, a setting apart. So to be anointed in biblical times literally is to have sacred oil poured on one's head. The act of anointing a king with oil was equivalent to crowning him. The anointing was a sign that of their God-ordained authority and a means to empower and protect them for the important purpose that awaited them. And furthermore, this anointing that we see in Scripture was always a sign that the Holy Spirit was on someone. That was a, a moment where, you know, as it says in Acts 10, uh, about Jesus being anointed by this Holy Spirit. So whenever you see that, in scripture where you see the anointing was put upon someone, it means that, that it was uh, the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in the life of that individual. So here we have the story now of uh, uh, David who was anointed, uh, he was called upon, as I said at the beginning, it brought out from his, the sheepfolds of his father. And uh, some believe that he was approximately between the ages of 10 and 15 when this happened. And he was called in to be anointed king. Um, and so he wasn't uh, positioned as king or didn't come into his office as king straight away. But David, much like King Charles, was a king in waiting. When you get anointed and called by God, um, it isn't necessarily that you're going to step right into that thing that God's called or anointed you to do. There is a waiting that happens following the call and the anointing. I'm going to let you wait on that, settle on that a second. To be called of God is one thing. To be anointed of God is significant. Uh, uh, the appointment of God and the call of God in your lives uh, tells you that you have a destiny and a purpose. God has called you in from the sheepfolds, from the thing that you were doing. And thus much like many of us, we were on our way doing something else when God interrupted our journey and called us out of it. How many people could testify to that? I have no plans in my personal life to be standing here before you today preaching a message from the pulpit. Honestly, I ran from this as much as I could. I uh, was told very early on, I was brought up in our Christian home as a PK, that you were going to do, you're going to be a pastor. And I'm like, no, thank you. I, I'm not really for that. That wasn't my destiny. I didn't really want to do that. I had other plans. I was into music and I wanted to follow a career in music. Uh, but God interrupted my plan with his purpose. And he uh, set me apart for a specific task that only he knew. Let me uh, help us today a little bit with this. Uh, um, uh, the journey that we're on as Christians, believers, the walk that we're taking is not our walk. It's his walk. We are on a journey with God, following God on a path that he is going, and he knows the way that he takes. Uh, David said it in Psalms 23, that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Is that right? Why? Because the Lord was with him. What, the Lord was with him because the Lord, it was the Lord's walk. The shepherd was the one walking and the sheep were following the shepherd. 
shepherd doesn't follow sheep. Sheep follows shepherds. So this walk that Jesus was taking through the valley of the shadow of death was his walk. We just happened to be coming alongside him. So whatever destiny and purpose that you have in your life, let me tell you that this purpose and destiny that you have is a part of God's plan for you. But it's his plan, not yours, not mine. He has a purpose for every single one of you, but it's his purpose and his plan. That's going to help us. That's going to free us up a little bit because we have, many of us have got plans and purposes that we want to execute. Plans to get married, plans for you know, a career, plans to do X, Y, and Z. We have all of these plans that we have concocted and, and we've put together, but God has a plan. And we are here to fulfill his call and his plan for our lives. That's going to help free us up a little bit so that we don't get caught up in trying to fulfill something that takes us away from what God had purpose for you in the first place. Because the things that God ordains for you and the things that he has called you to, those are the things that you will find are the most fulfilling things in your life. I, I know that you might find ful fulfillment and doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to get married and have kids and all those other things. But what primarily you're here for isn't to get married, have kids, have a nice big house, drive a nice beautiful car. It's to find out what is the plan of God for my life. What does God want to do in me to affect the world around me? Are you with me? And just like David, we, we are all kings in waiting. All right, let me move on. Let me, let me get us there. So, as I said, David was probably about 10 to 15. He was a king in waiting. And waiting is one of the most difficult things for us to do in this world. Our culture is completely opposed to waiting. Everything is done as quickly as possible. Is that right? We are a society that revels in instant gratification. Our food is fast. Our internet connection has to be high speed. Our shipping must be next day, next day delivery. After all, if we don't have to wait for something, why should we? What would be the point? Uh, when we hear the words like postponed or delayed, we're sent into a state of emotional distress and turmoil. We've become practice in impatience. We treat God like Deliveroo or an online retailer where we have selected express next day delivery to our prayers and we're quick to complain when, the, we are, when what we have ordered hasn't arrived on time. Abraham waited 25 years for what God promised him. Moses waited 25 years. David did eventually become king of Israel at the age of 30, approximately 15 to 20 years after he was first anointed or crowned by God as king. Jesus waited 30 years to start his ministry. Why can't we wait? We don't want to wait. Because our culture has devised and created an environment so difficult for waiting. Because everything is instant. Microwave, society, it has to be now. So when God speaks to you and gives you a word, you believe it should be now. Or you think that because God gave you a word and you received a promise that it's going to happen tomorrow.
God doesn't do instant food. God likes to take his time and put his ingredients together. God is a good cook. He don't do frozen food. He likes to take his time and bake. Amen? The waiting is God's proving ground for the called. Joseph waited 13 years from the moment God, he got that vision from the Lord that he was going to be a person of influence and that his brothers were going to bow down to him. He got that and, got, you know, and he shared that with his brothers and it didn't go the way that he thought, but it took 13 years later before they, he actually got to that position where he ended up in the palace. But he went, first of all, from his father's house into a pit that his brothers dug, um, threw him in. And then from the pit into slavery. And then from slavery into the service of Potiphar. And then from Potiphar's service, service he went into prison for, two, for another few years before he eventually ended up in the palace. There was a journey that took him 13 years to arrive at what God said he was going to do. And it ended up exactly the way God said it would but not the way he thought it was going to happen. God always tells you what, but never the how. Tricky. Tells you, tells you, tells you, gives you the big vision. Says you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Yeah, this is what's going to happen. And you're like, get excited. Oh Lord, thank you so much. And we're, ex we're excited about the vision that God's revealed to us, but it doesn't tell you the how because the how is a little bit challenging. Because if he tells you the how, you'd say no to the what. How many people can testify to that? So Psalms 105 verse 17, speaking of um, Joseph, says these words, And he sent a man before them. Joseph sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. So God has to prove his word true in him. So when God gives you something, the word that he receives, the vision that you receive has to be proven. Because what's he doing? He's making you worthy of the word that he gave you. You have to walk worthy of the calling. So the journey of wait is the proving ground to get you ready for the promise he gave you. He gives you a promise and then he says, okay, come with me. And he walks through you along the way. And as he walks you along the way, he's proving his word in you. He's making you fit for that word. That he gave you, that promise that he gave you. He's saying that you're a king, David. But David was uh, 10 to 15 years old. He had to be made into a king. He had to be, understand the journey of what it took to be a king. So God gave him the time to get there. Sometimes we are in a rush, but God says, no, you have to wait because I'm getting you ready so that you could be successful when you arrive. He doesn't want you to trip up. And when you get to the place of success, some people get to the, the place of success too quickly. And when they arrive there, they're not ready for it. They cannot deal with it. And all of a sudden, they find themselves back down in square one. Why? Because they, didn't, they weren't patient for the process. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. 
The word translated season in the Hebrew is a set time uh, or season. It's the New Testament equivalent to the Greek word kairos. Now there is, um, in the Greek, the word chronos refers to the general process of time or chronological time. And the word kairos refers to the right time, the opportune or strategic time, the now time. So there's a, a kairos moment, the season that the scriptures are talking about is there's a, is a, there's a right time to fulfill that purpose. So you might have, the, the, you might be in uh, um, the season of what God has pro- prophesied over your life, but the timing is not yet there. You feel close. You feel like this is like something, you feel something stirring in your spirit that I'm about to step into something, but it's not quite there yet. You can't quite grasp it yet because you're in, in the vicinity, but you're not in the timing. And so you have to wait for the exact right time moment for God to make the thing that he promised you come into fruition. Are you with me so far? So perhaps you've been living in a time like this. Uh, Psalms 14 verse 7 says, Oh, that the time of their rescue were already here, that God would come from Zion to now save his people. With what gladness when the Lord has rescued Israel. Perhaps you feel like this. You're living in a time where you're longing that God would perhaps come through for you, for your family, for your marriage, for your health, for your finances. In In these times that we need to be careful. If we give up, it leads to our hearts becoming hard and that can be destructive. We must hold on. During this time, we mustn't try to get ahead of God. Are you with me? Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God says, I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you. And a hope and a future for you. That's such a... Okay, if you understood that, you'd be like jumping up and down right now. God's got plans for you. A hope and a future for you. When we think about the term, uh, the word uh, uh, future or past or time in the West, we think about it in a chronological way, uh, the past, the present, and the future. And when we think about the the future, we think about something um, ahead of us, in front of us, down the road. But that's not the way that the Hebrews think about time. In fact, it's likened more to this image that you've got on the screen of a man in a rowing boat. A man in a rowing boat is rowing, and his back is to, to, to where he's going to. He's got rowing to the, to the land, and, and he can see where he's come from. Because you can always see your past. So your past is not behind you, your past is in front of you. So you can describe your past to everyone because you can see it. But you can't see the future because it's behind you. But you're rowing back to the future. Does that make sense? So that's the context is that when you are in a rowing boat, when you're in the Hebrew mindset, that I can't see my future because it's behind me, but I'm rowing towards it. With every stroke, I'm moving closer to it. But the only one that can see my future is God. So he sits at the front of your boat and he tells you, keep rowing. Keep rowing. I can see land. You can't see land, but I can see land. So it tells you to keep rowing. Keep moving. Keep pulling those those oars. I know it's getting difficult. I know you want to give up. I know you want to stop, but don't stop right now because you're very close. 
to arriving at the destination that I've called you to. Don't give up now. So God says, I've given you a hope in the future. God is saying, I have a plan for you. I can see the land. I can see your destiny. I can see where you're going, but you need to rely on my voice because you can't see it, but I can. So keep rowing. Tell your neighbor, keep rowing. Tell your other one that you didn't like first to keep rowing. So how do we, how do we wait? How, how do we, how we wait is extremely important to God. Not just waiting, but how we wait is extremely important to God. First um, Samuel 24, verses 4 to 5 says, The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. David and his men were hiding in the back of the cave. So it was a large cave, obviously, big enough for, the, for his men. He had about 600 men. So it was a large cave, and, and sometimes those caves were used to, to, to house um, those goats that we read about earlier. And so he was in his cave, way at the back, and David um, Saul couldn't see him. Uh, the question is sometimes, got, uh, in the dark, in the back room, when no one can see you, what conversations are you having about those who are leading you? While David was in the back of the cave with his men, they were discussing the leader in front of them and saying, this is the moment. This is the moment God told you. This is the moment for you to take your, sh your shot at leadership. And so David went, cut off the edge of the coat and was convicted by the Spirit because David was sensitive to the Spirit and recognized he did something wrong. Even in that, even though he didn't do anything wrong to be hated by Saul, David, when he acted in that way, came against the authority. Which, the reason why I took the time in the beginning to lay out the anointing and why the anoint, what the anointing represents is so that, that you could understand why David was convicted because he recognized that he was coming against the authority of God. He was... What Saul did, Saul was responsible for his actions. But what David did, he was responsible for his actions. We can't use the excuse the devil made me do it. We have to have the proper response to our ability. That's what responsibility looks like. It's a combined form. It's two words. Response and ability put together to make a new word. Having the proper response to your ability. If you know better, do better. Just because somebody's acting up and sometimes we're in a position and I understand that, you know, we have uh, some, in, in our world, we have people who are, who are leading us who are not, don't have the character and they are, maybe uh, you have a difficult challenging situation, maybe at work or maybe even in a, a home or maybe in a ministry that you've had, that, that you've been a part of and it's been challenging and difficult. But that, that doesn't give you and me a right to sit back in our cave and discuss and cut off people's robes with our tongues. God is looking. And David recognized and understood the authority that was on him, the anointing that was on him, and wouldn't come against the authority. He respected the anointing on him because although David himself was anointed, you've got to respect other people who was anointed too. Are you with me? So how you wait is important to God. Not just waiting, but how you wait. And so uh, uh, as, as those of us who are called to leadership, we're encouraged in First Peter 5 that we need to make sure that we um, are good shepherds that watch over God's 
sheep and care for them, uh, not because we must, but because we, uh, uh, you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who the, you are entrusted to you, but being examples for the flock. This is the calling of those of us who are called to leadership. We're not called to abuse those who are under our influence, but to care for them and be good examples. That doesn't always happen. And for those times and for those people that impacted you in that way, I want to say to you, I apologize to you for being wounded by those leaders. Whether those are leaders in church, whether those are leaders in your workplace, that's not what God ordained leadership to look like. But how you respond is your responsibility. Are you with me so far? How we wait is important. And sometimes we, we delay our prayers, our harvest, our breakthroughs because of our sin. Yeah? Maybe that happens because... Uh, of some uh, fear of the unknown, we maybe we we hinder ourselves because we we don't we we don't know what the future looks like, and we're we're hesitant to walk forward because we're uncertain. Or maybe it's just procrastination. Maybe you do know what it is, but you you're procrastinating, putting off to tomorrow, putting off to tomorrow, and not moving forward, not stepping out in the things that God's called you to to do. Maybe that's part of the reason why there is a delay. But sometimes the enemy will hinder us through distractions or tie us up from our, with our past or our present or traumas or addictions. The enemy can also try to hinder you from fulfilling the call of God upon your life. But sometimes if the enemy can't hold you back and can't delay you through uh, sin or distractions, he then does something else which is just as effective. He pushes you forward. Because if he can't pull you back and hold you back, he'll propel you forward and tell you to go into that thing that God promised you early. And so you're still out of sync with God's timing. So whether you are behind the curve or in front of the curve, you're not in rhythm with God. There's a perfect position, a perfect timing of the Lord, where when you're stepping into that moment, things move in an effective way. You see the results of God in front of you. But when you're ahead of God, you won't get there. And when you're behind God, again, you won't get there. So you've got to wait for God and find out, Lord, what's your timing? What's your timing, Jesus? Because he's a God of timing. Are you with me? <laughs> All right. So how do we wait on the Lord? The number one re way that we wait on the Lord is prayer. Say with me, prayer. Psalms 106 verse 13 says, They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. The first act of waiting on the Lord is praying, waiting for his counsel. Uh, I, if our back is to the future, we don't know where we're going. We don't know how close we are or far away we are we have to wait we have to wait for the instruction and the counsel of God he wants to give you direction as to how you're going to get there he wants to give you but he's going to give you give it to you step by step God's not going to give you the whole plan up front he's going to but he's because he, he wants communion with you he wants a relationship with you God wants you to come and counsel with him sit with him in prayer commune with him talk with him he wants a relationship with you to bring you into the promise that he that he has for your life so prayer is paramount. It's number one. How are you going to get there? How am I going to, what is, what is the waiting looking like? The waiting is looking like sitting in his presence and praying, talking to him. 
Father, what is it that you want to reveal to me? Father, where am I to go? Father, what am I to do next? Wait for the responses of God. Is that making sense? Prayer is the, the, the number one way that we wait for the Lord. The first act of waiting is prayer. So before we make one little move to solve our problem, prayer must become the first response and not our last resort. We need to develop the habit of seeking the Lord again and again and again. David made a habit of inquiring of the Lord. Everywhere you see the scriptures that are listed on the screen, it talks about, and I could give many more, where it says David inquired of the Lord. That word inquired in the Hebrew means asking God for guidance or for some possession. David was always asking God for guidance, or some, even in moments when you think he didn't need to ask. It seems obvious. He still went ahead and he said, David inquired of the Lord. When he, went, when he was out with his men at battling and he came back to the camp where he, they were staying at Ziglag, David found out that the, uh, um, the enemy has got, gotten in and uh, ransacked the, 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 the town, taken took their, take, their wives and children and all their possessions and, and burnt the, 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 the Ziglag to the, to the ground in fire. They were in distress. All of his men wanted to kill him. And at that point, it seems obvious what I should do. I should go and find them. I should go and look everywhere for our families and for our possessions. But it said David encouraged himself in the Lord and he inquired of the Lord. Even in obvious moments where you think this is an obvious thing, we should just go and do this. God is saying no. Even if a situation seems obvious that you should do this or should do that, do what David did and just stop yourself and ask the Lord. Wait on him. Why is that important? Because what you do, you have to be responsible for fulfilling your word. But when God gives you a word, he's responsible for fulfilling his word. So what you need more than anything in that moment is a word from God. That God says, go and you shall recover all. Now God has been brought into the situation and God is responsible to making sure that his word comes to pass. He's not responsible to bring your words to pass, but he is responsible for bringing his own words to pass. So go and seek what God says. Get a word from the Lord. Lord, what are you saying concerning this situation? What are you saying concerning this woman that I'm looking to marry? Or this man that I'm, looking to, I'm dating and I want to get married to? Ask God for a word. And when God gives you the word, you've got the promise of God and the guarantee of heaven. Prayer must be the first port of call. Amen? What else? Second point, praise. Praise. Praise is another way that we wait on the Lord. Praise but not as you know it. Psalm 65 verses 1 to 2 says, Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You, will, you who answer prayer, to you all people will come. The message transversion of the Bible translates this portion of scripture in this way. It says, silence is praise to you. Zion dwell in God. Silence is praise to you. The word translated there, uh, waiting, is the word in Hebrew for silence or uh, waiting or repose. When we are silent, it's as if we step, take a step back and are able to see things more clearly. We perceive that it's just either me or God. And we allow him to fulfill our, fill our minds with his presence and his presence becomes more tangible in our hearts. Our silence is an indication that the answer is with God and not with ourselves. So our silent wait is our praise to God and an act of faith 
that says we are anticipating a response from the Lord. Silence is a praise because we're not, we're not assuming that we know the answer. We are in faith saying, God, I've spoken to you, I've shared with you, I've poured out my heart to you, Lord God, and revealed to you my plans and my purposes, my, my, my dreams and my aspirations, God, I, and I need a word from you. So the, the, the next point is to wait in silence for him to respond. You are anticipating that the God that you spoke to is going to answer you. The key to that is silence. How can you, God, speak if you're still talking? Some of our prayers, or most of our times, our prayers are filled with us speaking. Maybe 95% of us is talking, and then we give God 5% to kind of fill in the blank. The most effective prayers in, as believers is to switch the statistics the other way around. 5% talking, 95% waiting. If I had a choice between listening to your advice about maybe a business deal and maybe listening to, you know, um, Steve Bezos, for example, Jeff Bezos, not, yeah, not Steve, Jeff, I'm sorry we're naming you, yeah? And, and Jeff Bezos wanted to give me some advice. And I got an interview with Jeff and he, you know, was going to share with me some principles about success. And I spent three quarters of the time that I'm with him talking about, talk, talking about my plans. And he's only got half an hour, so 25 minutes I'm talking with him about my plans, what I want to do, the dreams, that's where, and then I leave him five minutes at the end saying, so Jeff, what, what do you think? And Jeff's looking at his clock, I've got things to do. You've given me five minutes to reveal to you business uh, uh, tips and successes, uh, but you spent most of that time talking about what you think. If you're in the company of somebody that has proven success, you don't talk. You listen. God's got success down. He's, he's the inventor of success. He's got, he, none of his businesses have ever failed. His success rate is 100%. So why, why would you spend all of your time talking in the presence of someone with such wealth of wisdom when you could just listen? So, Psalms 1392 first says that you understand my thoughts and ideas from afar. God knows already what you're thinking. So maybe what we should do is, what Lamentations 326 says, is a good, it's, it, is a, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. So Lamentations 326. So that's number two. Number three, we should wait. First of all, we should wait in prayer prayerfully. Second of all, we should wait praisefully. Thirdly, we should wait patiently. Psalms 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Waiting is perhaps the most difficult spiritual discipline that we have to conquer. Everything in our, as I said before, in our world pushes us to rush, but God has all the time he needs. He is never in a hurry. Yeah, and since his purposes for us are in his hands, we know exactly how, we, we, he knows exactly how long it will take to accomplish what he has in mind for our lives. So wait for God. Patience is not doing nothing 
patience is progressing toward God. Patience is not inactivity. In, in, in that psalm that I read, Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently. Both those words, waited and patiently, are the same Hebrew word, kava. It should come on the screen. And it means to wait actively with anticipation, hopefully watching for God to act. It's, it's in its Semitic root, this word is the same word for making rope. And making rope in, in the ancient times is the same as making rope today. You take different strands um, uh, of rope uh, of, of, and then... Um, uh, you begin to bind them together. You tie them together. Strands and yarns and fibers. And you begin to wrap them together and keep wrapping them together and keep wrapping them together. And eventually, you know, it becomes a, a rope that becomes very strong. The, the word uh, waiting or in, in, uh, in Psalm 40 um, and patiently is this idea of intertwining yourself with the heart of God. So that you become like a rope that is so strong it can't be broken. This is what the, the same word that the, the Isaiah uses in Isaiah 40 says that you know, we sang about it um, moments ago. That um, uh, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Is that right? Yeah. Because as you are entwining your heart with God, as you're spending time with the Lord in prayer, as you're spending time with the Lord in worship and reading the scriptures, as you entwine your thoughts with his thoughts, you become stronger as a result of the entwining. That's what it means to wait patiently on God. It's to interconnect your heart with his heart. It is a, a process in which we twist and bind the fibers of our life, our wants, our needs, our desires, our strength, our weaknesses, to the very fibers that make up who God is. His righteousness, his holiness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his word, his precepts, his instructions. All of those things become entwined with your desires, with your will, with your plans. And all of a sudden now you have the strength of God in you. Because you've entwined all of that is you with all that is him. And that's what it means to, be, to wait on the Lord, to have a lifelong process of being engrafted into the heart of God. And his heart becomes your heart and your heart becomes his heart. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to ask the band to come up now. As I close, I bring to this final point, which is point four, process to progress. First Samuel 24, verse 1, says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. En Gedi is one of the most uh, beautiful and special places in Israel. It is in uh, the desert far from any other town. It's near the Dead Sea, in fact. I visited it myself. Um, and in this dry and difficult place, the springs of Engedi provide plentiful water and waterful, uh, wonderful gardens that grow there. Uh, it's a perfect example of living water in the desert. Uh, and the wilderness, I want to say, is, the, is where our faith in God and his promises will be tested. It wasn't an accident that David found himself in the, the wilderness of Engedi, the desert place, in this process of waiting. He wasn't yet king. He was a king in waiting, but God had him wait in the wilderness. Sometimes we find ourselves in troubling, challenging moments and times in our lives, and we wonder where is God in this? Where is God? We can't see him. We can't seem to sense him. 
and we find ourselves in a very difficult, arid environment, uh, wilderness spaces of our lives, and we wonder, is God there? Is God there? Where is he? Lord, I need a breakthrough. Lord, I've got a bad doctor's report. Lord, Lord, look at my bank account. I've only got a couple of pounds in there. And we're thinking it's getting difficult and, and we can't seem to see or sense God. And we're praying and we're waiting. We're desperate for God to come and answer. And we're in a wilderness environment and it seems that there's no one else there and there's nothing there, but God provides water in the desert. He always does. There's always an oasis somewhere in that situation God is going to provide and has provided for you even if you can't see it right now I promise you the God that you serve is a God that sees you in your wilderness and he is in fact it was him that escorted you into it I know it seems odd why would God bring me into that wilderness why would God bring me through this this situation why would the path be through the valley of the shadow of death or why would the path uh, to where God his promises be through a wilderness but God uses wilderness as a process to test our hearts to see do we really believe him do we really believe him that the things that he's promised in our lives will come to pass in um, Deuteronomy 8 verses 2 it says these, these words remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. The reason why you're in the wilderness, maybe is that God wants to know whether you are going to be reliable, whether you're going to be dependable. When you get into the land of promise, when you get into that place where God has answered your prayers and he's blessed you with that husband, he's blessed you with that wife, he's given you that job, will you still be there for him when he says to you, go left, go right, I want you to do this for me? Or will you be so caught up in your promise that you forget the God who promised it to you? So he takes you by way of the wilderness to make sure that he can rely upon you, that you're trustworthy, that your heart is with him. That it isn't Deliveroo to you. He's your father and you love him. So my final thoughts. All we've been talking about so far is about how we've been waiting. How can, how can we wait more effectively on the Lord? Whatever we're going through in life. But I want you to know today that God is also waiting. The God that we serve waits. We're not the only ones waiting. He's also waiting. Isaiah 30, 18 says in the English Standard Version, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. God waits for you too. He wants to shower you with blessings. He wants to pour out his grace to you. So maybe you're in this room or maybe you're watching online and you don't yet know him. You have not yet given your life to Jesus. He is waiting for you. Isn't that astounding? The God of the universe, the God who made all things that we see and feel and have in our lives would be waiting for me? 
everybody is, is waiting for you to come home. So whether you are, have made a decision for Jesus or haven't yet made a decision for Jesus, I want you to know today that it isn't so much that we're waiting for God. Maybe it's that God is waiting for us. God is waiting for us to reposition ourselves. God is waiting for us to come into alignment. God is waiting for us to entwine our hearts with his heart so that his will becomes our will, his desire becomes our desire. Maybe it isn't so much that we're waiting for God. Maybe this has all been about God waiting for us. So I want to extend a moment to us now for us to pray. Maybe you've been waiting for a promise. Maybe you've been waiting for God to answer something. So, my first appeal is going to be for those of you who, who have not given your life to Jesus. You don't know him yet. You have not made a choice, a decision to follow him yet. I'm going to ask you right where you are, every eyes closed, every, every head bowed. I'm not going to ask you to do anything dramatic or embarrassing. Just if you can indicate, if you don't know yet, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I want you to know he's waiting for you in this moment. And if you want to follow him, if you want to say, Lord, I'm coming. I, I heard you. I want to respond. I want you to just raise your hand up above your heads so I can see your hand. So I can pray with you. Thank you. See that hand. I see that hand. Any else, anyone else in the room? Okay. This other uh, invitation is for those of you who feel that maybe you have uh, given up on the things that God has promised you, and uh, you thought, well, okay, it's, it's been so long now. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen." God wants me to encourage you today to to let you know that you must trust the process. Don't give up. You can't see how close you are to the land. And he's trying to say to you, keep rowing. Keep rowing. You're nearly there. You're nearly there. The promise is about to manifest in your life. Keep rowing. So if you are feeling a little bit disheartened, discouraged because you've been waiting, maybe God, if you've given up on that dream, God wants you to take it back up again. Get back in the boat and start rowing because you, you gave up too early. Maybe for you, maybe for you it's about the promises that God has, has been, uh, that you've been waiting on and you feel maybe, uh, you know, is God going to come through? Is the thing that God said to me, is it really God? And you're wrestling with clarity of mind. Is it, is it Lord? Is it you, Jesus, or is it me? I'm going to ask you, everyone in this room, if this message somehow spoke to you, regardless of where you found yourself, whether you are new to faith, just making a decision for Jesus, or ever, whether you're wrestling with a place of indecision and waiting on the Lord, I'm going to ask you, if this message has spoken to you in any way at all, to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet if this is you, and I'm going to pray really briefly, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to we're going to go home. Lord, teach us to wait. We want to wait. We want to learn how to wait well, Lord. Amen. Thank you for standing. Thank you for your obedience. For those of you who are not standing, I'm going to ask you to open up your eyes and look around you, and I want you to stretch forth your hands to those who are standing up and begin to pray for them. They're in a season of waiting 
you may have not been in a season of waiting, but they are. So look around you and begin to stretch your hands and begin to pray for those around you if you, if you know Jesus. And I'm going to pray for those who uh, put their hands up to say they want to make a decision for Jesus. I'm going to pray for you in a moment, a specific prayer. And then we'll have a prayer team right here at the front at the end of service who also will pray for you as well to, and give you some directions of what you need to do next and how to uh, walk out your faith from this moment forward. But let me pray. Let me pray for those who are standing, everyone who is standing. Father God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you that we can wait on the Lord and we can discover new strength, renewed strength. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name that you are faithful and that you are not a God who will cause us to not arrive at our destination. You are the God who is at the beginning and at the, in the middle and at the end. And so, Lord, we thank you that we trust you for the process now. We will wait for you, Lord, because we know that waiting on you means that we're going to renew our strength. We're going to entwine our hearts with yours. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters standing, those who are watching at home, that they, Lord God, who are waiting and anticipation, Lord God, for the promise that they will not be disappointed because the God that we serve doesn't disappoint. So, Lord God, you may not come when we want you, but you always come on time. You may not come how we want you, but you always bring us to the destination because you are the author and the finisher, the alpha and the mega. And so, Father, we thank you for all of these saints who are standing up. Strengthen all of us. I'm standing too, Lord. Strengthen all our hearts today. As we, like David, learn to wait well on the Lord and walk and become worthy in the wait. For those, Father, who in the room will put their hands up, and those who are online who are watching who have not made who, are, who made a decision today to give their lives to you uh, I think a prayer is going to come on the screen if I'm right uh, if not you can just follow me and we'll pray a prayer together those of you who raised your hands and said I want to give my life to Jesus today uh, let's pray this prayer just pray after me here it is Lord Jesus and let's all pray together Lord Jesus thank you that you love me thank you you died for me on the cross Please forgive me for the wrong things that I have done. Please come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you have made that prayer your first prayer today for the first time, congratulations for being a part of the family. God bless you.